Father in heaven, what a blessing is ours to come into your presence and to hear your word spoken to us. But Lord, we request the, for the blood of Jesus to wash away our sin as, as Elder Eckenroth shared earlier in his prayer, that his righteousness will cover us so that you can come into our presence. That's what we ask for, dear God. That's the greatest blessing we can receive here today. We pray, Lord, also that your angels and the Holy Spirit will influence our hearts and minds. Father, we're going to be uh, handling some things here today that are going to answer the questions of many. It's, this could be an eye-opener to many here. But Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to communicate these truths to our hearts. Um, Father, you know the needs of everyone here. We pray that you will meet the needs of each one uniquely. May each hear the sermon in a way they need to hear this today. I pray especially, Lord, also for the speaker. I pray, Lord, that you'll give him strength, that you will give him your mind and your words. I pray, Father, for that. You know the illustrations that need to be shared today to bring these truths home. And we pray, Lord, that you will, you will provide them. I pray for those who are yet coming, that you'll grant them traveling mercies. Lord, glorify your name here today is our prayer. We thank you for this as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our presentation today is entitled The Truth About Angels, The Origin of Evil. We, are, we have already gone through the outer court. We have learned the lessons of, the, of the, the gate. We've learned the lessons of the brazen altar. We've learned the lessons that God wants us to learn from the labor. And we're learning that the outer court teaches us how to become a Christian, doesn't it? We call, uh, scholars call it justification. And we learned that the outer court also represents planet Earth because it was here that Jesus came to die. The sacrifice was made not in heaven, it was made here. So it represents the outer, um, represents earth. Now, what we're going to do is reverently enter into the holy place. Uh, the tabernacle but consisted of two rooms. The larger was known as the holy place. The smaller room was known as the most holy place. We're going to be focusing our efforts our, this morning on the holy place. And in the holy place, we find three articles of furnishing. On the far southern side of the uh, tabernacle, we find the menorah, the seven-stick candlestick holder. Uh, on the north side, we find the table of showbread with its 12 loaves of bread, and then uh, we find on the far western side the golden altar or the altar of incense. Uh, one of the interesting things that we find is that the walls, just like the other furniture, was made out of acacia wood overlaid with gold and it was set in silver sockets. It was designed uh, to be portable, to be broken down and transported, which was very convenient. Uh, during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Also very interesting is that in this compartment you find angels. In the, there are two veils. Uh, one veil 
as you enter into the holy place and another veil as you enter into the most holy. And they were decorated with artistic, uh, artistically designed angels all, all through it. Uh, not only there, but actually on the ceiling as well. Uh, the covering of the tabernacle, you would find four layers. The inner layer was made of linen. Uh, then you had a layer of goat's hair and then ram's uh, a skin dyed red. And then uh, on the very top, you had um, badger skin. And that, of course, was for waterproofing the sanctuary. But on the inner, the linen part, on the ceiling, there were angels. And then as you walked into the most holy place on the Ark of the Covenant, there too you find angels. Why angels all around? Well, you remember that the outer court represented planet Earth. This is where Jesus came and died. So what is the sanctuary telling us the tabernacle represents? Heaven. It represents heaven. So these angels lift our thoughts to the real celestial hosts. Those who dwell in the realms of day. And, and what these angels do is they call us, the sanctuary calls us to study angels, but more specifically, one angel, whose name was Lucifer. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to pull back the veil of time and space, and we're going to look into the heavenly. This morning we're going to look into the origin of evil. This is very important because this creates the, the framework, the backdrop to the plan of salvation. It was this event with this angel that took place in heaven that resulted in Christ coming and being born in Bethlehem. He was born to die as a sacrifice for you and me, a sacrifice of sin. This is actually a very fascinating study and I pray that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it answers a lot of questions today. But this is an amazing, very unique study. So let's begin with question number one. Under the symbolism of the king of Tyre, God describes the creation of Lucifer. What kind of being was Lucifer when he was created? The book of Ezekiel <clears throat> is, uh, is an interesting book. The prophet Ezekiel uh, prophesied in the land of Babylon. The children of Israel, because of their apostasy, lost their nation and were taken into captivity. And uh, while there, God gave the gift of prophecy to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel began to prophesy uh, not only to the, the, the Israelites that were, or the, Hebrew, the people, Hebrew people that were in Babylon, but there were still, Jerusalem hadn't been destroyed yet. It had been conquered. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar would make two more visits to Jerusalem before he finally flattened it. He was tired of their rebellion. But, um, but Ezekiel would be sending, God would have messages sent back to the, the people there, but he also had messages sent to the surrounding nations. He was letting them know they weren't going to escape his judgments. Uh, the surrounding nations were very instrumental in leading Israel astray, and also they rejected the true God of Israel. One of those nations was the nation of Tyre. Tyre was a, a seaport nation, 
and uh, they were known for being merchants. They were very uh, financially well off, and they were also very heathenistic and very much, they were very selfish. And so God had a special message sent to the king of Tyre, letting him know uh, that he was not going to be escaping the judgments either. And what's very interesting is that in chapter 28, <clears throat> the conversation changes. It, it, it switches from talking directly to the king of Tyre to someone else. And, and you can see by, by what God has Ezekiel write, he was not speaking to a human being. But what happens instead is the king of Tyre, at this point now, becomes a symbol of the fallen prince of angels known as Lucifer. And as we look carefully at uh, today, as we look carefully at verses 12 and onward, you're going to find that what is described here cannot apply to a man. So let's pick up and see now uh, the symbols used here. And it tells us a lot about this angel. You have to follow carefully, all right? Ezekiel 28, 12 through 13. And, and it's, you know, it's, it, this, there is a pathos to this. There is a lament in these words. And as I read them, I can't help but hear the broken heart of God. It begins by saying, you were the seal of perfection. Let's stop and just think about that for a moment. You were the seal. What is God communicating here? You were it. You were the standard of perfection. You were the seal. What we're talking about here is not an ordinary angel, my friends. This angel was the standard. And we'll see that fleshed out as we continue. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom. Okay, how much more wisdom can you, can you squeeze into full? This, this being was known for his intelligence. He, he was known for his wisdom. He was full. Not only that, but it's, the text also says, and perfect in, in beauty. Don't you think all the angels are beautiful? Absolutely. But this one was known for being perfect in his beauty. You were in Eden. Was the king of Tyre in Eden? No. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, this is alluding to his talent, his musical talent, was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's the book of Ezekiel and uh, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 are the ones that pull back the curtain and tell us what happened, how we got here. And so this being was known as, as, for his seal of perfection. He was known uh, for his wisdom, his beauty, and his musical ability. The devil knows music, my friends. He knows it. He knows it very well. You know, the devil loves it, by the way when he is viewed as some bat-winged, red leotard, uh, pitchforked individual. I want you to study your Bible one in from another and you show me if that imagery is revealed in Scripture about the devil. It's not there. And yet that is so embraced. That comes to us from Greek mythology. The reality is, is that the devil is a beautiful, talented being. 
That's the picture that the Bible paints. But there's more. What station did Lucifer hold in the courts of heaven? And this is where understanding the sanctuary is very important. Extremely important. Ezekiel 28, 14, so the next verse says, You were the anointed cherub who what? Who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. This angel was stationed in the heavenly sanctuary. It's very interesting because the cherubs that cover, it was an expression used for the angels that stood on the Ark of the Covenant. And without understanding the sanctuary, you're not going to get that. You're going to miss it. Not only that, but the people of Israel understood that on top of the Ark, the lid between the angels was something called the mercy seat. And it represented the throne of God. So what, what's the picture here? The picture is that this angel stood right next to God in heaven. What we're seeing here, dear friend, the imagery as we pull it all together is that Lucifer was the highest ranking angel in heaven. Lucifer was the highest ranking created being. This is the picture that scripture paints for us. His beauty was flawless. He was breathtaking. His wisdom was perfect. His brightness was awe-inspiring. His name was Lucifer. Lucifer, by the way, in Latin, if those of you here speak Spanish, what does luce mean? Light. You know, in Scripture, a name is given because an individual exemplifies a certain characteristic. He was known for the brightness. Don't you think all the angels were bright? Absolutely. But he was different. He outshone them. His name implies it. This is the being that we're dealing with. What, does the Bible confirm for us the name of the rebel angel and why he rebelled? Isaiah 14, 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14 says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He had an eye problem, didn't he? In the very center of the word sin is the letter I. He had an eye problem. He got stuck on himself. It's very interesting, by the way, if you go to, a, the, the, in, in, in an insane asylum, the residents in an insane asylum who live there, um, who are placed there because of their insanity, they use the word I, my, and self 10 times more than the average person in the population. Being stuck on oneself is, is the framework, is the, is the foundation of insanity. This angel lost it. Why? How? Well, the next text tells us, Ezekiel 28, verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your 
beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. This being had been gifted by God in so many special, unique ways. And instead of using those gifts to the glory and honor of his creator, he began to focus on himself. You know, I wonder to myself if other angels didn't mention to him, wow, Lucifer, your light is so beautiful. Wow, Lucifer, I, um, you sing better than anybody else. You know, many of us here in this room are have been given gifts and talents. Now, obviously, we don't compare to Lucifer. But some of us outshine others. Isn't that true? You know, and many of us in our well-being may say something like, you sing so beautiful. You are, you are so attractive. You know, and without realizing, we may be setting somebody up for a fall. Let all the praises be to God. Isn't that right? You know, being good-looking is a gift from God. But I can use it to draw attention to myself instead of to Him. Having musical ability and, uh, and, and singing ability is a gift from God. But I can use it to direct the applause of men to myself instead of the praises of man to God. I could be blessed with finances and I can use it to glorify God and to further His work and to draw the attention of people to Him. Or I can use it to draw the attention of people to myself. I could be blessed with wisdom and smarts. And I can utilize it in a way to draw the attention of people to the Lord. Or I can use it to draw the attention of people to me. There is a message in the life of Lucifer that we need to pay attention we have to be careful not to use the gift to replace the gift giver. And this is what happened to Lucifer. Lucifer got filled with pride. Though he was the most powerful and beautiful of the beings, he took his eyes off of his creator and benefactor and focused them on himself. This is amazing, friends. This is the story the scripture gives us. This is how we got here. Take a look at question number four. What happened to Lucifer? Did God create a devil? Ezekiel 28, 15 says, you were what? Perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. My friends, God did not create a devil. What I want to do now, I want, I'm going to read aloud and I want you to read along with me this section here on the study these next three paragraphs. Follow carefully, have your pencil ready. Um, and you might want to underline some things as we go along. But um, some thought went into this, and I just want to make sure that we hit the key points. The note. No, God did not create a devil. Lucifer made himself into a devil by the wrong use of his free will. There was no external tempter. He became his own tempter. Honored and loved by God and his companions, with every incentive to do right and with no excuse for sinning, Lucifer chose to withdraw his affections from God and focus them upon himself. 
little by little, by welcoming these selfish thoughts and repeating these selfish actions, he at length became infatuated with himself. His whole existence became self-centered instead of God-centered. He came to live in the one narrow dimension of me. Thus, by a long succession of selfish choices, Lucifer, the mighty angel, debased himself into Satan, the devil. Many often ask why God didn't just destroy him right at the outset. God gave Lucifer freedom and allowed him to carry out his rebellion for two reasons, two main reasons. First, to forever settle any question of whether or not God has given his creatures the freedom of choice. My friends, the rebellion is proof that you and I are free. Or it could never have happened. We are free to choose. Every one of us. Don't let anybody tell you any different. We're free. The second, if God had destroyed Lucifer as soon as he began spreading doubts about God's love and government, the other intelligent beings would have forever had lingering questions regarding God's justice. Lucifer was therefore allotted time to demonstrate the horrible results of sin. This is very significant. You see, this had never happened before. No one had ever lied. No one had ever questioned God's love and authority. It had never happened. Lucifer, this being whom, who knows, they could have been all operating together in perfect harmony for eons. They knew Lucifer. They loved him. You and I would have if we had known him at this period, prior to his rebellion. But when Lucifer began to question God's love and authority, a new element was, ent- was, was introduced into heaven that had never been there before. And people began to wonder, what, the angels, what's going on? Could Lucifer be right? Are you with me? If God had instantly allowed things to run their course and taken care of Lucifer, there would have been questions lingering and the government of God would not have been secure. This is heavy stuff. Are you with me? So in an effort to secure the government, God had to allow Lucifer reign. He had to give him time to flesh out his deal so that everyone had a clear understanding of what this really was about. Are you with me? Next paragraph. Many also wonder why God didn't just make Lucifer without a free will so that he couldn't sin. God could have made Lucifer without free will like a piece of clockwork or a machine. That way Lucifer would, not have, been, would have been incapable of choosing evil, but he would also have been incapable of choosing good. Voluntary worship, obedience, and love would have been what, my friends? Impossible. God did not want mechanical angels any more than we, parents, would want mechanical children. God wanted beings who would give him spontaneous, chosen love and affection, and this can only exist in an environment of freedom. Did you catch that? Love can never be forced, manipulated, or programmed. 
Love can only exist in, a, in an environment of freedom. You know, I, I love my wife, and we're married. And what makes her love for me very special is knowing she could walk away if she wanted to. And she chooses each day not to. Are you with me? Love can only exist in an environment of freedom. I've had, uh, you know, teaching young people in high school. By the way, I love doing that. I love their questions. I love questions. Not that I have all the answers. If I don't have the answer, I'll look for it. But, you know, I had a bunch of questions. And I have searched the Bible to find out the answers for myself. And, um, but I've had young people say to me, well, it, does God know the future? Yes. Then God knew Lucifer was going to rebel. Yes. Then why create him? You know, I want you to picture the scene. God creates an angel, looks into the future, and he says, oh, this one is going to sing beautifully in the choir, and he creates another one. Oh, this one has, is going to play the harp so wonderfully and creates another one. Oh, wait. This one's going to rebel. Oh, no, no, we can't have that. So let's create another one here. Ah, oh, yes, this one will sing too. Oh, this one's going to play the flute. Oh, my. No, 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 this one's going to rebel too. If God had done that, I want to ask you a question. Are we really free? No. No, God would be a manipulator and a controller. And God is not a manipulator or a controller. God created a perfect being who had all the incentives of doing what was right and made a choice contrary to it. You and I are free moral agents. I want you to know that. We are. We are free, my friends. So then what happened? What finally happened? Question number five. Bible tells us. And what? War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. The very first family feud took place in heaven. If you come from a broken home, if perhaps your home has been broken, I want you to know that God understands what that's like. God does know what that's like. Sin started in heaven. You know, you have to wonder, how did, how did Lucifer work? What efforts, what, what did he use? You know, King Solomon said there is nothing new under the sun. The methods that he used up there are the same methods he used down here. Gossip and slander. That's what he used. Gossip and slander. Now, that didn't quite have the impact I hoped it would have. <laughs> My friends, I want you to consider something. We can tell which side of the battle we're on by whose weapons we are using. Gossip and slander are not the weapons of God. They are the weapons of the arch fiend. Gossip is spreading the truth about other people that is very undesirable. Slander is spreading uh, what is untrue. Did you catch the difference? Slander is, is, is spreading what's false. Gossip is what's spreading what is unfavorably true. Are you with me? to put somebody in a bad light. These are not the methods of God. Therefore, they should not be the methods of those who claim to serve Him. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, I was in a, as I shared with you, I was in a, a wedding. 
I, I performed it, right? <laughs> this, uh, this last week. And it was really a sweet wedding. Uh, some of the weddings are becoming more and more elaborate. I've done two already that have gone over two hours. This one was under an hour and it was kind of refreshing. <laughs> the others were nice too, don't get me wrong. They were pretty, they were precious as well. Very interesting. But this one was very traditional and very simple and it was refreshing in that sense. And um, the, it, the couple exchanged their vows. They made up their own little vows and, and they shared them with one another and I had the formal vows that I, I shared at the end. And, uh, and their vows were precious, but there was something the bride said to the groom that just etched itself in my mind. I'd been thinking about it. She said to her groom, she said, I vow to you that my heart will be the graveyard of your faults. My heart will be the graveyard of your faults. Meaning what? I'm not going to spread that around. I'm not going to make you look bad in front of other people. I'm not going to repeat your, your failures to others. Your faults are going to be the graveyard of my heart. And you know, I want my heart to be the graveyard of my wife's faults. I want my heart to be the graveyard of my children's faults. I want my heart to be the graveyard of, of my church member or family or, 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 or co-workers' faults and those in the community. Do you think the world would be a better place if our hearts were the graveyard of the faults of others? Well, Lucifer didn't have that perspective. And so there was war in heaven. And you know, I, I can't help but think that maybe there were lightsabers or laser guns. I mean, we think, well, what, would that, what would war in heaven look like? And you know, I, I submit that probably at the very end, it came to some kind of forced event but the war, by and large, was not fought that way. It wasn't. And if you want a glimpse, if you want to get an understanding of what that war looked like, watch Jesus' dealings with Judas. What Judas was to the disciples, Lucifer was to the angels. Judas caused problems. You know, it's interesting, Judas, you know that Judas, the Bible tells us, was actually stealing from the church treasury. Nobody knew it, but one. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus knew that, 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 that night in the upper room that Judas had already met with the Sanhedrin and had already made an agreement to betray Christ and, uh, and Jesus knew that after the meeting in the upper room, he was going to head out there to finish the deal. But the disciples did not know. Do you remember when, when, uh, when Jesus was in Gethsemane and the mob came, uh, followed with, by the temple guard to arrest Christ? And do you remember what Peter did? He took out his sword and hacked off the ear of the high priest's servant. Now, uh, you know, I don't know if you put much thought into this, but do, do you, have you ever thought about what direction that sword had to be going to get his ear? I mean, he wasn't coming down because he had gotten his shoulder. What happened was, is that the high priest's servant did this number because Peter was trying to take his head off. 
and he got his ear instead. Do you think that night in the upper room, if the disciples had any inkling of what Judas was about to do, do you think he would have left that room that night? Jesus could have exposed him at any moment. And he didn't. He could have exposed him. And he didn't do it. Instead, if you study Jewish culture, you'll find that night in the upper room that Jesus was showering Judas with love. In what way, pastor? He allowed him to sit at the left-hand side. That was the position of honor. He washed his feet first. So as Judas was, had all this going on in his heart, as Judas was, was, was already uh, doing his work, even causing problems within the, the group of the disciples, but, but now with the Sanhedrin, as all this was going on, as he was intensifying his hatred, Jesus at the same time was returning fire with love. I submit to you, that gives us insight as to the battle that was taking place in heaven. It pulls back the curtain and it shows us what was happening up there. It was a battle of love versus hatred. Number six, what powerful being works, beings work under the devil's command? Revelation 12.4 says, his tail drew what? A third of the stars of heaven and threw them where? To the earth. By the way, uh, a third of the stars. Stars is symbolic of angels in scripture. If you need some references, get your pencil and paper handy. I'm going to give you two. Job 38 verse 7 and Revelation 1 verse 20. Stars represent angels. So this is telling us that a third of them fell. Let that sink in. A third fell. That's what the Bible is informing us. A third of them fell. Uh, um, open your Bibles. Why a tail? Does it mean that Lucifer has a tail? Uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 9. Isaiah the prophet prophesied during the apostasy of, uh, of, of the nation. And, um, and God called on him to address uh, some of the issues that were taking place. And God wanted to address everyone from top to bottom. And, and in this verse, watch interesting how God uses this imagery of the head to the tail. Watch this. Verse 15, the elder and honorable, he is the what? The head. The, head. the prophet who teaches lies, he is the? Now, the prophets that teach lies don't have tails. But the fact that they're lying, God refers to them as the last. They are the tail. Their lies make them a tail. Are you with me? And when the text in Revelation is telling us that he drew a third of the stars uh, with, uh, of heaven with his tail, it's telling us that the devil's deceptions of lies was effective in deceiving a third of the angels. Revelation 12, 9. So the, oops, no, I'm still here. So the uh, great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his what? 
angels were cast out with him. How many were there? Was it, was it a million? A billion? A whole, I mean, amazing. I can't help but wonder, I, I guess I have an overactive imagination, but I can't help but wonder what that final assembly must have been like in heaven. When they met together, all of those angels for the last time, God made his last plea with them. Can you just hear the other angels pleading with their friends not to leave? Can you? Pleading with them? I can't help but wonder when they finally shook their fist at God and left. The silence that must have been in that auditorium. Probably the only sound heard was the sniffling of weeping angels. But they were cast out to the earth. You know, the fact that he succeeded in deceiving a third tells us something about his influence and how cunning he is. And now his name is Satan, which means adversary, and the devil, which means slanderer. That's what it means. And so then he was ousted from heaven, and guess where he came? Earth. Take a look at question number seven. <clears throat> what methods does Satan use in his work? Revelation 12, 9 says, Satan who what? Deceives how much of the world? The whole world. Are you alarmed? The only way out of deception is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to find him is through his word. Otherwise, you're fried. If he could deceive a third of those intelligent beings in heaven, in God's own backyard, what chance do you think you and I have without the word of God? We don't stand a chance. What does the devil do? The devil's most effective weapon, what he does, is that he mixes truth with error. Let that sink in. You see, the truth, all the truth does is it makes the error plausible. The devil knows better than to just go out to you with straight error. He mixes truth with error. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever gone fishing, you get a worm, which is perfectly healthy for a fish, but then you place it on a... Now the fish has problems. You put it out there and you hide the hook. All he sees is the worm. It's the mixture of truth and error that makes error plausible. This is what the devil does, my friends. I run into people all the... Well, I'll, I'll share more about that. Number, let's... Oops, uh, Mark. Mark 1.13. And he was there in the wilderness. This is talking about Jesus during the wilderness of temptation. He was there in the wilderness 40 days. What? Tempted of Satan. I want to ask you a question. Is being tempted a sin? No. When does it become a sin? When you give into it. Revelation 16.14. For they are the spirits of devils working what? Miracles. Okay? Demons working what? Miracles. So if it's a miracle, does it, does it come from God? You know, there are people out there that say just because it's a miracle, it must come from God. My Bible says something different. It says that demons also can produce miracles. You need to test the miracles by the word of God or you're going to be swept away by the deceptions of the last days. Are, are you with me? You have to test them. Not all miracles come from the Lord. You know, I, I have a Catholic background, and that really is our mindset in the Catholic Church. It really is. So, so buyer beware. John eight forty four. he was a murderer from the beginning, for he is a liar and the father of it. 
The devil promises but doesn't deliver. I want to share something with you, my friends. You know, the, the devil, this is how he portrays himself. E- even, though, even though we never read it in a book, somewhere it lingers in the back of our minds. The devil is a good old boy who's, who, is, who just wants you to have a good time. And God is the big killjoy in the sky. Now, we didn't go to the same school, but did you kind of get that idea too? That's how he portrays himself. He's just a good old boy and all he wants, he just wants you to have a good time. But God's the big stickler. He's the big stick in the mud. He's the big killjoy. He's just looking for you to mess up so he can just jump on you. The reality is, my friends, is that Satan is a psychopathic serial killer. He has already killed billions and you're on his list. And it's, that's, that is the reality this morning as we're sitting here. He is a psychopathic serial killer. He is not interested in your happiness. He wants to kill you. Be careful who you're listening to. Make sure it's Jesus and not a psychopathic serial killer. Number eight. When is the devil most effective in his deceptions? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen and 15 says, No wonder, for Satan himself, what? transforms himself into an angel of light. Let me pause there. So if an angel appears before you in its radiant glory and beauty, is it safe to assume that God sent him? No. Whatever he has to share with you, you better test it to the word of God. Are you with me? So, he, so, so here we're, the Bible's telling us that Satan can actually transform himself into an angel of light. Let's continue. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of what? Righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Amazing, the devil has pastors too. He has pastors who are preaching Jesus, ministers of righteousness, but they're not. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is a warning from our Savior to us here today. Matthew 7 And it says, beware of false prophets. Let me pause right there. You know, when we think of prophets primarily, we think of those who receive visions and dreams. But the Bible also uses that word in a secondary sense, which means those who teach God's word. You remember Samuel uh, in Ramah set up a school of the prophets. He wasn't setting up a school to teach people how to have visions and dreams. He was teaching them the word so that they can go out and teach the word. So in a primary sense, yeah, visions and dreams. Secondary, it has to do with those who teach the word. In this instance, it refers to both. Okay? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. What do wolves eat? Sheep. Be very careful. And what... What these, what these ministers are doing are mixing truth with error, just as Lucifer did. 
You know, I remember a young man, I, I went, uh, knocked on his door. In fact, that was in Wilmington, North Carolina. And he told me the story of the dogwood tree. Does anybody remember the story of the dogwood tree? Maybe that's a, well, two, of, two, two or three of you. But it's a legend that uh, the dogwood tree was this beautiful tree until it was cut down and that was the tree that was used for the cross of Jesus and then it was cursed and it was made all gnarly. And, um, and, that's what, and, and that's the story of the dogwood tree. Well, this young man was trying to convince me that that story was in the Bible. Friends, do we know our Bibles? We had better know our Bibles. Because there are pastors out there that are teaching truth with error. And how do you not know if I'm one? I could be one. I, I, I put together these lessons so you can go home and you can study them during the week to make sure that I'm not leading you astray. Very important. Very important. Study your word. I want to show you another text. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew 24. This is an amazing, Matthew chapter 24. This is an amazing incident here at the close of Christ's ministry. He's already standing at the, in the shadow of the cross. He has just left the temple for the last time. And, uh, and, and he just told the disciples that not one stone will be left upon another. It's going to be destroyed, which, which absolutely blew away his disciples. And then a conversation ensues, and I'm picking up in verse uh, 3. Now, as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age, or as the King James says, the end of the world. So after he says this, the disciples realize, hey, this is the end. So, so Lord, tell us, what are going to be the signs? Now, if, if these disciples had asked you this question, you might say things like, well, the economy is going to teeter. It's teetering. It's, that's going to be one of the signs. There's going to be, there's going to be you know, wars in various places. Uh, there's going to be uh, ecological disasters taking place. Nature's going to be turning out of its course. He, Jesus could have said any of that. But instead, the first thing out of his mouth is the next verse. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one what? The big issue in the end is deception. And you and I are living in it. Is, is what I believe is truth really truth? If it doesn't jive with what the Bible teaches, you have grabbed hold of error. And it doesn't matter that it's generational. It doesn't matter that it's always been preached for the last 200 years. Hitler said, If you... If you, if you repeat a lie enough times, it will be embraced as truth. My friends, God has given us the word of his word to be able to distinguish between truth and error. And he has left us as intelligent beings to make a decision based on what the Bible says, not on what Pastor Baute says or any other pastor. It has to be what God says in his word. We have to recognize that this is our compass and it always points due north. Always. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's error. Jettison it. Are you with me? Does Satan know the Bible? Matthew 4, 5, and 6. And here we have the words of Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He says, if you are the Son of God, what? Throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. I have, uh, I have news for you, friends. The devil knows the Bible better than you do. He's got the whole thing memorized. Are you with me? The devil knows the scripture. And he is a master at misquoting it. He is a master at misquoting it. We have got to know our scriptures too or we're going to be swept away. 
by the prevailing apostasy that is taking place and rebellion that's taking place in our world. It is, it is not optional. If you and I have any hope of getting through this world, we have got to know our Bibles and be in it. And we're going to talk more about, our, about the Scripture as we go deeper into the sanctuary. Number 10. Who on earth does the devil hate the most? Revelation 12, 17 says, And the dragon was enraged with who? The woman. And we're going to learn that the woman is a symbol of the church. And he went to make war with the rest of her offsprings. Who what? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. I want to say right now that Satan hates everybody. There isn't anybody he likes. He doesn't even like his own crew. He hates everyone. But there's only one group that he is enraged with. And it's those who are seeking to honor God by obeying everything that God asks them to do. He hates them. You know why he hates them? Because he doesn't have them. You know, um, when, I, when I go places, um, I, I, I don't feel worthy to be God's spokesman, to be a pastor. I don't feel worthy of it. Uh, God pulled me out of the gutter and then, to my shocked amazement, he asked me to be a pastor. And so I, I humbly accepted, I protested a little bit, but I humbly accepted the call. But you have no idea how much I pray when I come up here. I am pleading with God that I don't stand between him and you. But that he sees you, that, that you see him and not me. And... And so when I go places, I ask God to give me courage and strength to present the straight message. I often have people come to me and say, Pastor, thank you for sharing the straight message, but the devil is going to be very angry with you. My response is, so what? Hey, listen, friends, if the devil's not angry with you, it's because he's got you. He owns you. He's got you in his pocket. If he's not upset with you, if you're not on his radar screen, you belong to him. The only people he hates, I mean, he, he's, has a, he's wroth with, are those he doesn't have. And I just assume he'd be mad at me, thank you very much. I don't want a happy devil on my case. I want a mad one. Are you with me? So I want to be of this group that, that, that this text is talking about that the devil is enraged with. That's who I want to be. Because those are the ones that are going to heaven. Number 11. What two deadly animals does the Bible use to portray the devil? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring what? Lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then Revelation 12.9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. You know, Snakes and lions use diversionary tactics. You know, lions, if you see them hunt, uh, the males will approach the, uh, the antelope and they approach in a way that they want the antelope to see them and they roar and the antelope, they see the lion coming, they're like, ooh, I'm out of here and they run right into the ambush. That's how lions work. Snakes, same thing. They go into the shadows. They don't want you, they don't want to be seen until it's too late. The devil is very sneaky. He doesn't use a frontal attack. And when you, when, you, when you think about how the human family fell into sin, it's because the devil came disguised as a serpent. If he had shown up as a majestic angel preaching 
uh, another gospel, another truth, something contrary to God, Eve would have picked it out. But instead, he came disguised and he dazzled Eve. Eve, instead of sticking with God's word, went with the evidence of her senses. The fruit looked good. Hey, the snake was talking. He didn't die when he ate it. She went with the evidence of her senses instead of sticking with God's word. Is there a message there for you and I? The devil doesn't change his tactics, friends. If we stick with God's word, we're going to be okay. But if you go with the evidence of your senses, how you feel, what you think, it looks okay, it didn't hurt them, you go that route, you're done. But if you stick with God's word, you will be saved. Number 12, what is the only way we can resist the devil? James 4, 7, and 8 says, this is amazing, this is a process, got to pay attention here. Therefore what? There's your first step. Submit to God. What's the next thing? Ah, now that's possible. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The next one? Draw near to God and he will draw near to, to you. If, if we're not first yielding to God, there will be no power or desire to resist the devil. Did you catch that? If we do not have a devotional life, if we don't spend, begin our day with God and his word, the devil is waiting for us and he's going to have us for lunch. You with me? It is absolutely important. I remember when I came out of my sinful life and I began following God, as I began reading the Bible, I became very impressed that the movies and uh, the programming that I was watching was uh, unacceptable to God. I began to pay attention to the fact that the movies uh, and the TV programs were denying God. They were mocking God. I want to ask you a question. Hey, if somebody did that with your spouse, with your wife, or your mom, would you put up with it? Then why are we going to put up with it when they do it with the God who died for us? How can we call that entertainment? You wouldn't call it entertainment if they were mocking your mother. And so I sat there and I watched that and I was offended. And I said, I'm not going to watch this garbage anymore. And so I, I, I stopped. I stopped going to the theater. I stopped watching uh, programs on TV. I, I still, during this period of my life, was still watching games. And, uh, and, and, you know, the commercials will get you. And it's interesting, uh, during this period of my life, Early on in my, in, my, in my childhood, there was a lot of pain in my world, okay? I'm not going to go into details. There was a lot of pain in my life. And one of the ways in which I medicated it was through watching movies. And I'm probably not the only person in this room with that testimony. By watching programming. And there was one program in, in particular that really uh, meant a lot to me because I can just, in my imagination, lose myself in it. You know what I'm talking about. That's how you just shut off the pain, Right? Anyway, I left all that behind. When I was, as I was watching uh, a game and a commercial came on, there, I, I discovered they were now going to make a movie out of that program that had meant so much to me. And that pulled really hard. And uh, throughout the week and the ensuing weeks, that, that trailer kept playing in my head and just kept pulling at me. And I knew God did not want me to watch that. But oh, I wanted to. And I just kept entertaining it in my mind. That's a big problem. Finally, I made the decision I was going to do it. I was going to watch it. But oh, it's, but I had no peace. And so I did, 
I did the smartest thing I could, I, could, I could do. I called my mom. And I said, Mom, I am struggling right now. And I told her what was going on. My mother then quoted this text to me. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so I went to my knees and I pled. I said, God, I want to choose you. Help me. Help me. And, 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 and this was going on in my mind. And finally I said, okay, I won't see it. And I felt this thing lift from me like something had me encased. And the desire to see it left me. My friends, that won't happen if we're not spending time with God on a regular basis. We've got to spend time with Him. Then we'll have the power to resist. Number 13, how did Jesus fight the assaults of the devil? Here, Jesus is our example, Matthew 4.10. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written. It is written. Jesus knew his Bible. He was quoting it. He didn't give philosophy. Well, this is what I think, Lucifer. No, this is what God says. I love that. He also says, Ephesians 4, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the... The word of God, the only thing that God has given to us to unmask the devil's program is the Bible. And so the devil has actually succeeded. You know, during the dark ages, the devil was very successful in, in hiding the word from, from humanity. It was locked in an ancient language. Only people who were highly educated and knew Latin and, and the few Bibles that were available knew what the Bible... Everybody else didn't have scripture. They were deceived. And so the devil waged this war against the Bible and he almost succeeded in blotting it out. But then the Reformation happened. Now everybody has access to it. So then what he did is he changed his tactic. Whereas before he fought the church, now the devil was baptized and entered it. And he gave a different gospel. And, and by and large, people have bought into it. Now everybody has Bibles in their house and no one is reading them. Amazing. No, my friends, we have got to be in God's words. The only thing is given to us to unmask the devil. Hebrews 4, 17. For the what? For the what? The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, my friends. Uh, Psalms 119.11. Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. You see, we have to have the word in our hearts. By the way, how do you get it there? By reading it, by meditating upon it. And by the way, that's the Hebrew poetic imagery. It's in the mind. When we spend time in God's word and we put those and we think about that and, and we place it in our minds, then we're in a position where we will not sin against God. But if we don't do it, we will sin against God. Ephesians 6.11, put on the what? The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. What is it saying here? Put into practice what you're reading. Put into practice. And it becomes a shield that the fiery darts of the devil will not be able to get at you. Are you with me? Amen. Okay, uh, number 14. What, uh, what end will Satan finally meet with? Um, Isaiah 14, 15 says, Thou shalt be brought down to where? To hell, to the sides of the pit. Hey, isn't it good to know that he's going to get his in the end? He's not getting away with this. All right, number 15. 
Will the devil reappear to tempt God's people? Okay, so after he's thrown into the pit, is he going to make a comeback? Ezekiel 28, 19 says, You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Can you say amen to that? You have become a horror. How? You see, this rebellion began in heaven. Questions were now placed in the minds of beings, questions that had never been considered. A third bit into all of that. But the others that stayed, though they made the right decisions, there were still lingering questions. There were still questions that had to be answered. When Christ came to Bethlehem, he began the process of answering the questions. Why? Because he began to show that he really is love. He risked the throne. He risked eternal loss by coming here to save you and me. He willingly surrendered the throne to come here, my friends. He did. He went through this world, and the whole time the devil was on his track. The devil knew that if Christ was successful and went through his, his whole life without sinning, and he followed his father in everything, that he would then be able to pay, be the ransom for humanity, and then his deal was done. He knew this. So everything dependent on him being successful and getting Jesus to fall. Everything depended on, on him being successful and getting Jesus to give up on the mission. And so he threw the kitchen sink at Christ. The, the, the cross was an instrument that had developed over the centuries and perfected in its ability to torture and destroy people. Jesus came onto the scene when that instrument had been perfected. The devil made sure that he placed his creator on that cross. Not only that, but he incited man to do everything they could to discourage him. They spat in his face. They put a cloth over his head and they beat him. They grabbed his beard and they pulled the hair out of his beard. They took his shirt off and they beat him on the back until his blood, blood ran down his back. Then they stripped him naked and they nailed him to the cross and they hung him there at eye level with all the women and the men that were there. Jesus knows what it's like to be sexually humiliated. And the whole angelic host watched what Lucifer was doing in horror. And the devil unmasked himself. Now they saw what he was really all about. But it also revealed the love of God and what he was all about. Name in one nine, and as a result, affliction will what? Not rise up a second time. The universe will be inoculated. Now they know what sin is all about. They're not interested. You and I have to make that decision, friends. Number 16. What does God, how does God feel about the destruction of the wicked? Because at the end they will be. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, As I live, says the Lord of hosts, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? Can you hear the heart of God pleading? It's a pleading voice. God is saying, look, look, there are people in this room who have not made that decision. 
There are people in this room that still think that God is the big killjoy in the sky. Friend, I appeal to you. Give God a chance. You risk nothing. Give him a chance. Don't choose the arch fiend. He's a psychopathic serial killer. He's not interested in your joy. He wants to kill you. Don't choose him. And we only have two choices. It's either Christ or the, or the arch fiend. That's it. There's no third option. If we reject Jesus, we default. God does not want to see people destroyed. You know, in the end, God, as the sovereign of the universe, has to destroy sin. He has to. And by the way, I'm glad. He has to destroy it. But in the process, he will, he will have to destroy those who cling to it. Let me illustrate it. You know that in many countries today, there are countries that as a result of war, and the war may have long since been over, but landmines are still in effect in those countries. And children out there playing soccer will step on one of those things and it'll blow them up. This is happening all around the world. How many of you are aware of that? Imagine if the U.S. military came up with a device that would send out a a sound wave and instantaneously detonate all of the mines and make the nation secure. Wouldn't that be a wonderful invention? So let's imagine for a moment that the United States has been talking to the government in Somalia. Somalia learns of this device and they ask for the United States to come and please uh, use that device in their nation and get rid of all those mines so that the children can be saved. So the United States then begins a campaign for the next six months of notifying all of the people in the country that on January 16, this device is going to go off and all of the mines are going to be detonated. So if you have one in your house for a souvenir. And don't think for a moment people don't do that. Um, You better get rid of it. So they send out pamphlets. It's on the radio. It's on TV. They send out couriers and vehicles with the loudspeakers to ensure that everyone gets the news and has a chance to make an intelligent decision. If you're holding on to this, get rid of it because on this date, it's going to be destroyed and you'll be destroyed with it. And this is exactly what God has done with the gospel to let everybody know, I am going to bring an end to sin, but if you're clinging to it, my friend, you will be destroyed with it. Are you with me? He wants us all to make an intelligent decision. Number 17. How did King David respond when he learned that his rebellious son Absalom, who attempted to take the throne by force, had been slain? This is a very interesting story And it's found in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18. You know, the stories in Scripture really illustrate for us many times the unseen. David was the king, and his son wanted the throne. Is this sounding familiar? You know, um, Absalom, the Bible says of Absalom that he was very handsome. He was very, very handsome. He stood out in Israel. The Bible says from the top of his head to the bottom of his, of his foot, he was handsome. Does this sound familiar? The Bible says that, hence, that he was not only handsome, he was very charismatic. And, and, and through that charisma, he succeeded in deceiving most of the nation. They sided with him. And when he saw he had the numbers, he made a move for the throne. David learned of the superior forces that were coming upon Jerusalem. And he very humbly uh, left Jerusalem because he didn't want the battle to take place there. 
he left and he took a much smaller force. And, and he went to an area, uh, a wilderness area, that would help to reduce the tactical advantage that Absalom had. And uh, he then uh, entered into a fortified town and he, got, he divided his forces into three and he gave instructions to those three generals. He says, whatever you do, don't kill the boy. Isn't that something? Very interesting too. One thing I failed to mention, uh, when Absalom came into Jerusalem, King David had left, had taken all of his household with him and just left his concubines behind because he figured Absalom would, you know, they were, they're not a threat and he would leave them alone. No, actually he raped them, his father's concubines. It, 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 was, it was the utmost in insult that he paid to his father. And yet, he told his three generals, don't kill him. And you know the story. They engaged in combat. The, the smaller force of David overwhelmed the superior forces of Absalom. Uh, they were routed and Absalom retreated and in the process was killed by one of the generals, Joab. David waited back home, back in the town, waiting news. One of the messengers came and, uh, and he reported that, the, that his forces were victorious. And then he said, but what about the boy? And he informed him that Absalom was dead. And then the Bible records for us what happens next. In 2 Samuel 18.33, then the king was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Absalom, my son, my son. You know, my friends, at the very end, Lucifer will be destroyed. And the angels that joined him and the, wick, and, and, the, and, and the humans who joined him. But you will not see a God pumping his fist in the air. In this story of David, the reaction of this father, we see the God of heaven, who on that day will also weep for what could have been. You know, my friends, the reality is, is the majority of the world has chosen the prince of rebels. And so here's the appeal that I have for you. Sadly, most of the world has joined Satan in his rebellion against our loving Heavenly Father. Won't you, dear friend, make the choice today to love Him and serve Him? How many here want to make that decision? Raise your hands. Praise the Lord. This is the message of the angels in the sanctuary. They point us into the celestial realm where the rebellion began. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you were willing to take that risk for us. We're so grateful that you created us with a freedom of choice. You never take that away from us. Love can only exist in a freedom, in an environment of freedom. You, you're, you are not a manipulator. You're not a controller. You're the God of love. And Lord, you, the Lucifer, this enemy, this, this being who knew you so well and, and chose to go against you now is working to hide you from us so we can't see you and to misrepresent you and to spread gossip and, and slander 
Lord. Father, I pray, give us eye salve that we can see you. Help us, Lord, to make a better choice. And Father, you saw the hands that went up. You know that our promises are ropes of sands. Yes, we choose you. But Lord, we need your power in our life to make it a reality. And so Lord, help us to remember we have a part to play. We need to spend time with you each day in your word and in prayer. We need to remember we have, we have a devil on our, pa- on our track who is a psychopathic serial killer. He's try- he wants us dead. He's, he's killed billions. Help us, Lord, to remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That if we walk with you, you can protect us. Now, Lord, there's someone in this room, maybe more, who has really bit into these lies and has a very warped picture of you. I pray you'll be with this dear soul. I, I want to talk to those who perhaps have never made a choice for you. If there are any in this room who have never made a choice for Jesus or perhaps did and fell away, and today you want to change sides, you want to choose Christ, I want to ask you, will you raise your hand at this time? If there are any here, raise your hand. Amen, amen. God sees you, friend. God sees you, amen. Are there any other? Father in heaven, you know these dear souls who have raised their hand. They have chosen you. And Lord, now you have the right to dispatch your mighty sentinels to stand watch and protect them. Keep us now in your care and keeping, gracious Lord. And throughout this week, may we share the wonderful story that because of the rebellion in heaven that spilled onto earth, God sent his son to redeem the fallen. We thank you as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.